Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I'm here with Fabian. What's up, Fabian? How you doing, brother? Good to be here, man. Dude, I'm doing fantastic, guys. You So Fabian and I have an interesting uh, way that we met. Well, not interesting, that interesting. Arte is how we met. But, but we also met, like a lot of people, via Instagram, and we just connected, right? And we just came together. And if I'm not mistaken, we were talking about going to the Arte Live event, and neither one of us had gone to uh, an Arte event like that. And so we didn't really know what to expect other than we're walking in with a whole bunch of fucking new people, like 1,500, 2,000 people that are like-minded, but we didn't really know exactly what we were walking into. And so I think we both kind of helped each other get there and then kind of get through it, so to speak. Um, and through that, we've stayed really tight friends, probably closer friends than I have with anybody in the group, really. Um, I mean, we talk uh, close to every day. It's crazy. And, and, and <laughs> what's interesting, I think, is that, you know, I I think you're in such a cool industry, right? So I love, and the reason, and most the listeners already know this, that I've had a history with cocaine and drugs, all you name it, whatever. And, and maybe that's why the fact that you're in the cannabis industry is so intriguing to me because, you know, I made a lot of money when I was selling drugs, but guess what? That had to stop, you know, when I got caught. <laughs> so, um, so, and you've had some, experience with drug and alcohol and then we both had experiences with being sober so i guess baby take us back to when this started for you because you know it started it didn't start at a super early age for me i started drinking maybe around 15 well, you mean when, when did when did like the, the cannabis start or when did like me being a degenerate started because those are two different things well, so I figure they probably <laughs> at some point go hand in hand because, uh, yeah, well, which one came first? Being a degenerate came first. You know, I, I always have been that mischief kid, that uh, the black sheep of the family, so to speak. I mean, I was a good kid at heart, but I just was a troublemaker. Uh, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin from an early age. So, you know, acting out or 
trying to be a badass or the, you know, girls love bad boys kind of deal um, was what I gravitated towards. Um, you know, my life as a drug addict or an alcoholic started at a really young age. I come from a family of, of drug addiction and alcoholism. Um, you know, I never was into drinking booze at a young age because my mother always said, stay away from the shit. Like you, you could become an alcoholic like my sister or like my brother, like just don't do it. Sure. And I never liked to be drunk because, you know, I was on the street running and gunning and gangbanging. Being drunk, I wasn't able to defend myself. Like I wasn't able to properly be aware of the situation or the people around me. So it was a constant stay away from booze. So I was a drug addict. I mean, I was a hardcore meth addict. I was a crackhead. I was into cocaine, you know, PCP, 2CI. It didn't matter whatever drug I could get my hand on. You know, I was a guinea pig. That, that was the life. But booze was never a part of it, right? It was just drugs, being high, as high as you can fucking be. Um, and eventually, you know, all those things led me to prison. Um, you know, I did a bunch of time through multiple states throughout the country on the West coast, you know, Arizona, Idaho, California, Washington. And when I got out, you know, cannabis had already kind of been a part of my life. My sister was one of the first patients in 1996 in California to get a script from a doctor for cannabis. Okay. So, you know, I have a sister who's very sick. Cannabis is what saved her life. So it's always been a part of my existence. Okay. When you say sick, what, what do you mean sick? She's, she has a multitude of diseases um, of health issues, mainly that are autoimmune deficiencies, um, and nothing can cure them. Nothing can help her. All the medications that they wanted to give her were going to cause more extreme issues, you know, blindness, uh, malfunction of your bodily functions. Um, the list goes on of what pharmaceuticals do to you, right? So she became one of the first people in California in 96 to have a license for cannabis use. And, you know, I've probably been smoking pot for the last 20 years. I'm 33. So probably 13, 12, 13, I started smoking cannabis. Um, and when I got out, it became my saving grace. It literally became the thing that saved me from my old life, which was violence, drugs, alcohol addiction, you name it. What do you mean when you say when I got out? When I got out of prison. So when okay. I finally was released from the penitentiary up in Idaho, I came back to California to live with my family because I didn't have anywhere else to go um, on an interstate compact through three different states, actually. Um, you know, cannabis became my saving grace. Um, it always made me feel like a normal human being. It always made me feel like I could function in society. But coming out of prison, I had an extreme dose of PTSD. Uh, the night terrors, the inability to be in public, um, the extreme anxiety, the nervousness. I had a twitch in my eye where I would get nervous and I would start twitching like this. And I'd have night terrors that were extreme. So being in the cannabis industry or you know, smoking cannabis, I started to realize that those night terrors or those facial tics or those issues were starting to subside. And as I started cultivating, I started to breed genetics, um, create new cultivars of cannabis. And I don't know what any of that means. So, you know, <laughs> a, cultivar, a cultivar is like a strain, a variety, right? Okay. You have sour okay. diesel, OG Kush, of sure. all these Blue Dream people have heard of. Those are cultivars, right? So I started breeding specific cultivars, taking a male and a female plant, crossing them together, creating a new seed, a new variety, 
and I was trying to create genetics and a cultivar with a specific cannabinoid profile that would help with my issues. And I couldn't relate to anyone in the world other than U.S. combat vets because we were having the same issues. I was on war in the street. They were in war in Afghanistan, right? So your PTSD was from the street or from prison or from both? Both. Both. Okay. All right. Okay. Absolutely. Because the violence on the street is very different than violence in prison. Help me understand the difference, if you can. Well, violence on the street is is, um, somewhat tactical, okay? There's there's gun violence, there's knife violence, there's physical violence, but it's normally tactical to get an end result, um, whether that is fear, whether that is taking over territory, whatever that is, there's a specific intent behind that violence. In prison, that violence is just chaotic. It comes out of nowhere. You're taking a bunch of violent felons and putting them all in one area. and You don't expect it to be just fucking chaos. And if you're in a prison that's divided by racial lines, you stick with your race. You know, I'm Caucasian. I stuck with all the white people because that's what you had to do to survive. And the prison, the violence in prison isn't just between races. I'll tell you right now, white people inside prison deal with white people before they deal with any other race. That means in prison, you could be one minute fighting side by side with someone eating chow, you know, going about your day. And the next minute they're stabbing you nine times in the neck. That That's life in prison. So there's no... There's no intent. It's just it's just constant chaos. So the PTSD was very different, but it was it was there, right? And I couldn't relate to anybody but U.S. combat vets because they were at war. You know, I was at war too. It was just different. So I set out to breed genetics not only for me but for combat vets. So the first two cultivars I created is kind of what I'm known for. One is called Hollister, which is not named after the clothing company. It's named after the <laughs> town. I lived, in a, I lived in a town called Hollister when I read it, right? It's in the Central Valley. And the other one is called Enzo's, Enzo's Kush. And uh, that was bred, Enzo's was bred for the night terrors, made you sleep. It was high in ahumaline, which is a terpene a lot like hops. And it allowed me to go to sleep and sleep a six or seven or eight hour stint without horrific night terrors. And the Hollister allowed me to function during the day in society. Um, I got rid of the, the twitches and the freakouts. I could, you know, sit so there was other people sitting behind me. All those issues that were really stopping me from function as a human being in society were wilted away. And it was because of these two cultivars that I had created. And that really began my stint in the cannabis industry. Um, you know, I was up in Humboldt County for a long time where I learned everything um, from from the old timers and, and good families who had been in this their, their entire life. And, you know, it's been a, a, a long journey. I've been a commercial cultivator for over 10 years as well as a breeder. Um, you know, I never thought I would do anything but grow cannabis. It's my life. It's who I am. It's what I believe in more than than myself almost. And uh, unfortunately, when regulation came here in California two years ago under Prop 64, I made a decision to walk away from cultivating full-time. There are a lot of multitude reasons for that, some of them being regulations, some of them being me in a banned county where they don't allow cultivation, and a big part of it being my family. Um, I hadn't been home in 16 years. I'd been chasing my own career, living this outlaw life. I found a woman who I want to marry. 
Um, and she doesn't come from this world. She's not a smoker. She's not a drinker. Uh, she never even jaywalked. So <laughs> to, to step back into being an outlaw when I was trying to build my family unit wasn't conducive to the new life I was trying to live. So I decided to step away and it literally almost broke me. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. I've never been lower in life than I was when I walked away from cannabis. And, you know, I was also recently sober from alcohol. So I didn't mention this, but when I got out of prison, I started to drink. Um, I was over the age of 21, you know, I was 22, 23, hanging out with girls, going to the bar, um, alcohol, Jameson, whiskey, especially took over my life. Um, and I became a raging alcoholic real quick, threw away a lot of career opportunities, situations, relationships. Um, and I got sober uh, only a few years before I decided to quit uh, cultivating. So being freshly sober and walking away from the only thing that I understood is my existence almost broke me, dude. And so, hello. So like, and, and for all of you guys, ladies and gentlemen listening, we, unless you've been through the getting sober part of, uh, of, of, of being so addicted to alcohol or drug and then have to divorce the one thing that you know your hands can put together and the one thing that you've designed, your two strings, so to speak, be having to divorce away from something like that after losing alcohol, your best friend, it's almost like you're two of your best friends killing themselves at the same time. Well, it was definitely, I mean, as we're talking about addiction, as I'm smoking a joint, and I will say to those listeners, marijuana is not a drug. This is not a physically addictive thing. This right. is this is what God has given us. I use this on a daily basis. It doesn't stop me from functioning at a high level. And by the end it's of this conversation, by the end of the conversation, you'll see that I'm the exact same now than, than I am when I'm finished with this joint, right? Um, but it, it wasn't walking away from cultivating. It was who I am is what I did. It was everything that I embodied as a human being. And it's what really kept me sober. It's what got me off the dope. It's what kept me sober through the booze. And then to walk away from it and move, like I moved to a town now of 300 people in the middle of nowhere where cultivating is not allowed. And I had to find a new journey. I didn't know what that journey was. And I'll tell you right now, two years ago, I had no idea I'd be doing what I'm doing now. Never in a million years did it, did it cross my thought that I would be doing anything other than cultivating cannabis. And to now be on this advocacy journey and to be somewhat of a, a counselor or a mentor or I don't know what word. You're leading a fucking movement. You're leading a goddamn movement is what you're doing. Well, to see, I mean, we're all just so similar, man. And we all have two things in common if, if we're talking about cannabis. One, obviously, is cannabis. Okay, it crosses all stereotypical lines, gender, race, sexual orientation, whatever. It crosses those lines. The other thing is a human condition. We all suffer from this, no matter how bad we wish we didn't. We do. So, you know, my, my crusade of trying to remind people that, hey, we're not so different. We wipe our ass the same. We like movies the same. You know, like we're not different no matter where we come from is – I believe giving some hope to an industry that's been so underground and so hidden. We didn't talk about who we were, what we did, or 
where we lived or showed our face on the internet because we were outlaws. You know what I mean? We were dope farmers. We were outlaws. So to now have an outlet for these guys where they can be like, yo, I relate to this shit. Yo, I feel this. Yo, I've been there. Um, you're watching this message in this crusade really go, go across the nation really quick within our industry. And I'm just so honored and so proud to be, have the, the opportunity and the privilege to be a voice for my industry, not just cannabis, but the grassroots community, the men and women who built this industry over the last four or five decades. That's who I'm trying to speak for. And for them to trust me and what I'm going to say and how I'm going to represent them is just an absolute honor. And, and just guys, just to fill you in, you're, I mean, he's going to talk about the crusade and, and he's going to talk about more about what his role is in all of this, but please listen because you're, you know, Fabian comes from an, uh, from a place where just to paint a picture, like, you know, as a, a, when you were, let's just say the black market, black market cannabis farmer, or, or, or sales or, or cultivate whatever, like you could, you didn't talk, like he said, you, you didn't talk about that kind of thing. And for a guy like Fabian to be out on the front lines advocating is a big goddamn switch. Well, everybody thought I was crazy. Cause you know, probably, I don't know, six years ago or whenever Instagram kind of became Instagram. Um, you know, we all talked on forums before that. You know, like that's where cannabis culture was on the internet. It was on forums, a little bit on Facebook, but it was forums. And when Instagram came out six or seven years ago, my best friend at the time was like, dude, you got to get on this. You got to, you got to put your weed up here. This is where the industry is going. I kind of thought he was full of shit. I always say I'm not a high tech redneck, all this internet shit and computers and smartphones happened while I was incarcerated. So I wasn't hip to it. Um, so I did, and you saw all these grassroots folks from all over the country getting on the internet and like talking back and forth with each other, but we still kept our faces out of it. We kept our names out of it. We kept our locations out of it. There was still that risk, and I was probably one of the first people, if not the first, in the grassroots cannabis industry that was like a black market dude to put their face on the internet and go, this is me. This is who I am, and this is what I'm doing, and I was probably one of the first people as a seed breeder who shipped their seeds directly to people. I didn't go through a European seed bank. I didn't send my stuff to another person to repackage, to distribute at a, a five times the price. I built a website and I said that shit straight to your door. And I literally had people come up to me all over the country and be like, what the fuck gives you the balls to do this? Cause they thought I was crazy. They thought I was absolutely fucking nuts to put myself out on front street like that because of the repercussions that could happen. Now, probably the best thing I did. But now let me ask you. Um, so if by you, let's just say you ship me 5,000 seeds, is that technically illegal? Technically, it's like gray area because it's, it's not really, a, it's not, it's not a seed. It's not a plant until it's popped, until it's germinated. Right. right. So you'll always see people like, this is for souvenir purposes only, or this is bird seed, or, you know, they'll, there's ways to get around it, but it doesn't mean that if your shit went through the mail that it couldn't get confiscated and that someone's not going to try to hem you up. You know, that's totally possible. And it has happened. I've had shipments get taken and I've had, you know, cops show up at people's doors um, because of those seeds. 
what were they doing other than the, my seeds? I don't fucking know, but you know, it's happened. You know, it was sure. still a risk. Today, it's not. You know, not here in California, anyways. But uh, back then, it was. It was a serious issue, and we were all worried, man. And you know, cops watch fucking Instagram and shit. You see people who are still trying to play the black market on Snapchat or on the internet or whatever sites they have now, and uh, they're getting popped. Cops are acting like they're their friends, and they're coming in there arresting people. So. We had this big swing shift from a black market to a gray market, which was our medical market, a free market. And now we're in this regulated market that has absolutely destroyed our industry in every state in the union. Um, it is nothing what it used to be. And the people that are getting hurt the most outside of the producers and purveyors of these products, most importantly, is the consumer and the patients buying this shit. They're the ones getting fucked. They're getting taxed out the ass the shit that they can't afford. I mean, they could go to a black market friend and pay a third of the price for better product, right? And you've watched this corporate takeover happen of our industry so fast, it's almost mind-boggling to see what's happened to our culture. And that's where Propagating Purpose, which is my podcast, and this crusade of developing something we're calling the coalition, which is like what craft beer has for the Brewers Association, you know, they've made it so we've literally fighting to have a seat at the table. We built, we built this fucking table and now we're being told we're not allowed to have a seat at it. Cool. If I'm not allowed to have a seat at that table, I built then I'm going to build my own fucking table. And then I'm going to put all my homies at that table. Cause you got to remember this industry was built off the backs of dying AIDS patients in San Francisco. It was pioneered by backwoods rebels who stood up for what they believed in, regardless of the consequences. This has been built over blood, pain, sacrifice, incarceration, separation of families over decades. And within two years, because politicians and government think they know better than us, have destroyed our industry. Destroyed it. It is seriously a fraction of what it used to be, and it is less than a fraction of what it could have been. We live in California. It's the biggest fucking market in the world. And yet we're so far buried in political bullshit that we're not seeing any of the benefits from it. The only people that are benefiting from the legal cannabis industry, and that goes for every state in the fucking country, is politicians and big corporations with outside interest. That's who's leading the market now because the, the, the all king is fucking funds. It's funds. That's yeah. what fucking matters. I got to have millions of dollars to step in the cannabis game now. Millions of dollars. So let's just say I had those millions of dollars, right? But I earned them on the black market. I try to step in and now I got the government coming after me for a RICO case. So where did my fucking money come from? So yeah, the legal market might be open, but all that money is going to enforcement. You know how many raids have happened this year in California? You know how many military style vehicles have been coming through and shooting 50 cows in the hills? This I don't. I don't. T tell it's me. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The amount of enforcement that is going on. They've just found another way to fucking lock us up. So they have counties that regulate and they have counties that don't regulate like mine. You can't grow in my county legally. So let's just say I still want to fucking grow because I'm a dope farmer. This is what I do. Dude, they could come in, take my fucking shit, take my plants, try to fucking take my house, my cars. They can literally do whatever they want. 
even though it's just a misdemeanor now, it's still the police. It's still the government. They can still do whatever the fuck they want. And I'm not hating on the government or the police. My father-in-law is a police officer, as a former criminal. I know what they go through in their job, the highest respect to, to first responders. But, you know, this is politics, man. It's all about money. They couldn't beat us in the black market. So then they acted like they were going to join us and support us and help us build. But really, all they did was come in and take over and tax the shit out of us, start locking us up, going after financials for RICO acts, and raiding mom and pop farmers who are just trying to survive the way that they have for the last 20, 30 years. And it's ridiculous. But everybody wants to get in the weed game now, right? Right, 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 right. So, God damn. So, you know, I'm just sitting here trying to think. Go ahead. Just so you know, you touched her volume or something because it's way up. I don't want the listeners to be hearing your voice distorted. I would just turn that down a little bit. That better? Yeah, way better. Okay. I wonder what the hell. All right. Well, I may have got, who knows. All right, cool. So, um, I, I can't, uh, it's so, so, so let me ask you. So the, okay. So they legalize marijuana, so to speak, or cannabis in California, but yet, no, this is what I was going to ask you federally. At this point, do you think federally they're going to blanket the United States and say it's federally legal to have cannabis with higher than 0.3 THC. Do I think that's coming? I mean, what, what's to say it's not going to come, bro. I mean, we're who I, okay. So I went to Vegas, uh, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, right before for MJ. It's like the biggest cannabis conference in the world. Dude, never in a million years did I think when I went to prison, that 10 years later, I was going to be watching what I was watching. Like, that was insane. I've never seen that many vendors, that many products. And it was all kind of crap, to be honest. But it was still amazing to see that kind of size of support and money that's been put into the cannabis industry. So I think anything's possible. I think that if Trump goes for a second term, I think he will federally legalize if the rest of the world isn't in chaos. You know, just what happened here in Baghdad, God bless our troops. Um, who knows where the world's going to be? But if they do federally legalize it, it is going to open up the door for the whole industry, I think. I don't know. I don't know how those regulations. In a good way? It could be. Could be. It could be if we take advantage of the opportunity that we have right now where legal weed's been out for a little while or legal weed is coming out. Like Illinois just legalized the other day, so they have recreational sales. And for consumers in states that don't understand cannabis or what quality cannabis means, they're going to go in there and just buy weed for a while. Whatever right. is in packaging, whatever they have to sell. But after a while, they're going to realize that they're paying a lot of money for boof. You call that shit boof. Just crap. It's not good quality herb. And you're watching customers now can't afford the taxes, can't pay all the fucking money. And it's getting to a point where people are aware that we're getting screwed. So it's such a beautiful time. I hate to say it like that, but it's a good timing for what we're trying to achieve with the coalition because people are starting to wake up and realize that a lot of what they've been fed is bullshit and nobody likes to be fed bullshit, especially when they're spending a shit ton of money for it. It's crap. Yeah, no, it's funny because I was watching, I watched something, I don't remember what it was, but it was a documentary about the different strains and, 
And, and it was interesting because, and I don't know if this, you know, it was a documentary. So who the fuck knows if it was true or not, but I'm sure you can tell me. He said, you know, these, these, these uh, dispensaries, you know, they'll, that you'll go in and you'll see, you know, you'll have a 21 year old dude and he's like, Oh yeah, you know, this is sativa. It'll do this. And this is indica and it'll do that. And, and this, and, and this, he was like, it's all the fucking same. Well, it's definitely not all the same. Well, that's what I was thinking, but that's what definitely. this guy was like. Mm, it's all the same. But so, but it's like a 21 year old kid behind a counter. Right. <laughs> right. So like, okay, so here's my deal is, consumers today are conscious consumers okay people my age who are really make up the mark not my age but people that are my parents age that really make up the cannabis market right now over the age of 60 a lot of them being female um, they're conscious consumers they care about organic food they care about where their products are coming from where their meat's coming from so they walk into a store they don't know any better they they just are being told what a 21-year-old kid behind the counter is telling them, or they're being humans and looking at packaging that they like or that matches up with their vibe, and they're buying products based on that. Here's the deal. If you educate these consumers, and which half of the coalition really is trying to do is bring awareness to people about what cannabis is, what you're paying, the truth behind things, they will go after that. It's like going to a grocery store, and all of a sudden now you see – customer requested item, customer requested item, because the consumer is becoming conscious of what they're purchasing. They no longer want to buy this fucking crap at a high cost. They want to buy a good quality product and they'll even pay more for it because they know the quality is good. So our goal is to educate these consumers and really explain to them not only what they're purchasing, but who they're supporting, because they may think that they're supporting a small farmer that's all biodynamic and regenerative farming out in the Humboldt Hills, but you know who they're supporting? Some big corporate sludge fund from Canada, and the dude has never even touched a pellet in his whole life. And that needs to be changed. And the only way we can change that is by is changing the narrative to the truth. And and these guys, these co- the corporate guys that you're referring to, like they they hide behind the local guy, right? Because they need the local guy's story. To sell the product, right? You can't, I, it wouldn't make sense for me to walk into a dispensary and say, oh, there's a guy in a suit that knows nothing about the plant. I'm not going to buy from him, but I'm going to buy from the farmer because he knows. So the corporate people, does that make sense? The corporate people need the farmers as their story. But here's the deal is every person pretty much from the, the corporate world thinks we're just a bunch of dumb stoners. That's really it. They think we're a bunch of dumb stoners. You know how many times I'll hear in articles of big corporate people go, oh, well, a bunch of dumb hippies did it. I can do it. Maybe they didn't say dumb, but they say some shit like that. And they really think they know better than us. You'll see the like divide, the line divide at events where there's people like me walking around with dirty boots on, you know, a bunch of dirty hill fuckers. That's what we call ourselves. And then the suits. And we're talking about different things. They're talking about acquisitions and fucking profit margins and, you know, bottom line and all this stuff. And we're talking about apical mare stems. We're talking about fertilizer regimens. We're talking about regenerative cannabis. We're talking about fucking compassion. There's different conversations. So there's like this tug of war right now of corporate cannabis versus grassroots. And you're watching corporate cannabis fucking tank because authenticity matters. You can't just be some fucking corporate hedge fund behind a brand that you're creating because culture is king. 
grassroots cannabis culture. There is no SOP for culture. This is lived through experience, pain, and sacrifice. And no suit understands my life, my industry, and my sacrifice better than me. And we don't have enough people from my side of the tracks, as I say, lobbying. We don't have any lobbyists. We don't have any politicians. We don't have a voice. But we need to become the lobbyists. We need to become the voice. Because if we don't, the industry that we sacrificed everything for will be no more. And once this becomes a global commodity, if we're buried under regulations, who knows what's going to be happening. And it's not just about the, the degradation of the small farmer, which is happening in horrific numbers. But the end consumer is going to get crap. Like, it's going to get crap. Do you know how many people have actually fucking, like, gotten sick because of dirty cannabis? No, I don't. A lot, dude. You're smoking something into your fucking lungs. And if you're not a good farmer, or if you're not a person who understands the concept of how cultivation and curing and processing happens, you can literally fucking kill somebody. Moldy product, smoking in your lungs? Dude, serious issues. You see videos on the internet of people in other states and what they're getting away with, and it's horrifying. You, in North Carolina, may walk into a store or you know, go somewhere near you or whatever and think you're buying a product that's supposed to heal you because the guy behind the counter says so, the packaging looked good, you do the internet search, the website looks cool, it says everything you want to say, you fucking smoke it or you fucking eat it, and next week you're in the hospital. There's no explanation for it because someone's intent was not in the right place. They were focused on profits rather than the end consumer or the patient. And that's what people are blinded by in this industry is they think it's a get rich quick scheme. They think the money is fucking all here. Dude, we made a lot of money back in the day, a lot of fucking money. And if you were smart, you stacked it and you buried it. But today there is no money to be made in this industry. I don't know anyone who's making a fucking shit ton of money. I know people who are barely surviving. And those are people who've been around for 10, 20 fucking years and they've been putting in the work and by God is my witness. I hope that those men and women are still around in the next five years because they deserve to be. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Well, you know, I it's sad that 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 the these folks you everybody that you're referring to have poured their life into this plant and and, and not like, you know, it's not like me coming up with a widget on the fucking computer right this is something that is dear to let's just say the people on your side of the track so to speak it's dear to your heart like it right so i mean the guys that are that this, this the, is our heart this right. is our heart it's not dear to us this is everything that we embody this is everything we believe in i would go back to prison for this plant would, wow. would the, the normal weed guy no. go back to prison? No. Sorry, you wouldn't. 
but that's how much I love this. I love it more than myself because of what it did in my life. And I think that it's a, the ability to bridge gaps in places where there never used to be. I mean, dude, even Andy Forsella released a podcast this morning about fucking weed. What did he talk about? Talked about him using it. Talked about him being in the industry. Talked about it being better than booze. You're seeing people across the country that you never think would be in cannabis open it with, you know, welcome it with open arms. And I'll tell you right now, could you imagine the impact in the world on a global scale that could come from someone like Andy Frisella stepping into business with someone like myself or someone like Pat Pooler, Heroes of the Farm? Do you re- you would absolutely decimate the industry on a global fucking scale because you have someone in his position with all the business abilities and talents and you know avenues and the intent is correct. We know him. We fucking are part of Arte. We know where he's going to fucking take this in the long run. And if you take that kind of mentality with someone who eats, breathes, sleeps this culture and is viewed by the grassroots community as someone who could be a leader and a voice, you would literally dominate the industry. You would dominate it without, without a fact. There would be no more corporate cannabis. You would be the corporate entity. You would be a multiple state operator driven by the grassroots community. Shit Which is fucking. huge. That's huge. So, did he allude that he was going to help? Did he? I mean, I haven't. I got to listen I mean, to no, it. not not to. I mean, to the cannabis industry. I'm sure he'll be helping the people of Missouri, but uh, nothing about me and him. I just was. No, right, right, you know, right. I just didn't know if he. Was, sure, sure, sure. But you're right. I mean, you know, anytime somebody of that magnitude, especially somebody as vocal as Andy. God, I mean, he, you know, he could probably get behind a pile of shit and people would believe it because he's so goddamn authentic. He's so well, here's true. Here's the thing. He could get behind a pile of shit, right, who is not from my side of the tracks. He won't be successful. Mm. He may be, point. he may be, dude, he understands retail and manufacturing like the best of it. And if, Andy, if you're listening to this, that wasn't a, a slight at you by any means. He would still be successful. He'll be successful at anything he fucking touches, right? That's just a fact. But to win, I mean, fucking dominate the cannabis industry, you have to understand cannabis culture on a whole nother level. Like, you need to have that business mindset, that ability to build these fucking brands, but you have to understand herb. That means you had to be a grower, been a producer, fucking sacrificed everything for it. You have to be around rounded figure well well-rounded figure in this space to be successful in it because this is not an industry where you can open up a book and learn about it right you're not going to open a book and learn about the weed game it's just not going to happen you can watch a shit ton of youtube shit but what is fact and what is fiction you know right. if you want to be successful in this industry it takes that dichotomy of an extreme businessman and someone who understands cannabis culture and if that can merge together, that can win. And I know of two instances where people have done it in cannabis. They've joined up with investors who understand business, and they've been very successful. But they have both come to me in the last month and told me that they got fucked over. So whoever decides to step in the herb game, if someone's listening to this, and you decide to pack on someone from this industry, don't fuck them over. Because then everybody's going to find out about it. 
make sure your intent matters. If you want to step in this game and make some fucking money, then be willing to lose a lot of money for a little while and be willing to understand that you don't know everything about the industry. That'd be like you, bro, getting in a fucking appendix infection and me being like, lay down. I'll cut it out. No worries. <laughs> That's a fair point. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm that a, makes I'm total sense. Fucking, I'm not a fucking doctor, bro. So it's the same thing with me, say, stepping into Andy's fucking job. I can't just all of a sudden be like, I know everything about manufacturing and whey protein, and I'm going to teach you what you know. No, because right. it's, it's not true. So, you know, there's a, a, a fine balance between operating a, a, a huge, large figure company and understanding cannabis culture. And I've been fucking saying this for years now, and I don't understand why anyone hasn't, anyone hasn't listened, because that's how you're going to win in this game, in my opinion. And I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I got my finger on the pulse pretty good. Well, I, I will I will say this, and, and you may already know this, but you know, I one of my very first interviews, in fact, uh, yeah, one of, was Sean Whalen. So Sean yeah. is in the cannabis industry now. I know that he's in, I, he's I, in hemp. Hemp. Okay. So I, I don't I don't know to what extent he's in it, but he would be a good person if you could seek him and Andy up together. Fuck. That could make a massive impact. They're still missing the can the cannabis culture. So Sean and Andy together will dominate shit no matter what. They're just savage. With you. No, right. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be. I would love Andy, Chris, Sean. Let's I'll fucking do it right now. I swear right. to God. But you know, they they'll be successful regardless. But to you could literally make a global impact. A global impact, not just a state, not just an appellation, not just a county, a global impact of changing the narrative in cannabis. But it takes both things. And no one has seemed to be able how to merge those correctly yet um, that I've seen. Well, one thing. The industry is young, dude. It's still in its infancy. Well, for sure. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'll, I, I, hell, I'll, if you don't care, I'll post part of this, uh, what we've just talked about. I'll tag both of them in it and fuck, you know what? Anything can happen. But it, I, my thing is this, like I, I've known you for a little while now and there's, I, I don't think there's anything that I could ask you about cannabis that you wouldn't know. And if I didn't know, I'd tell you, I don't know. And let me make a phone call real quick. You know, right. And I, I can get your answer. Right. So, and, and I feel like you've got an army, uh, you know, an army of people that are already behind you having somebody with some influence combined with what you've already got. I mean, it could, it's like, it's like Tony Robbins says, you read a book about XYZ's life and, and, and that guy took 30 years to develop this book that he's written that you can read in three days. Right. Or for me, maybe four days. <laughs> so like you know taking all of your knowledge and your people combined with somebody who's currently very influential i mean i think that could be a, a match made in heaven and i think Andy, but, here's and the, I, but but here's the thing if it would have happened six months ago would happen three months ago i wouldn't have been ready mm, i love that even if you even if you set that shit up even though I'm an Arte and 
you know, sometimes I might talk to Chris or Andy or whatever, like it, even if they came to me and be like, we think you're the greatest guy in the world. We want to fucking get into business with you. I would have fucked it up. I would have fucked it up. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't mentally where I needed to be. I hadn't experienced all those things. I hadn't taken the, the coalition to this level. And I think timing is everything. Everything huh. happens for a fucking reason. And I'm very grateful to be in this position I am now. I'm very grateful to see Andy in his position that he is in. And, you know, whatever's supposed to happen will happen. But here's the thing is you could gain proximity to these people and talk to them on a regular basis. That doesn't mean they're just going to open a door for you. You have to fucking prove your value to someone. And, you know, I think when you're trying to level up with people or try to gain proximity to people of, of higher status, it needs to be done really slow, like really slow over time. You know, like you're, you don't have any benefit to somebody who's worth, I don't have any benefit to somebody who's worth fucking nine figures. You know, like I just, I don't, I have never to prove know. over time. Well, you know, you got to prove over time. And my point just mean that everything happens for a reason. Timing is fucking everything. I think the the series of events and, you know, I, if Andy ever decided to, to step in the game, you know, he could have my support a thousand percent and the thousands of people that are behind me. Yeah. Well, I, never thought about it. Like, I never thought about it like an army. That's fucking pretty cool. It really is kind of like an army of grassroots motherfuckers all around this country and even globally. Um, yeah. People all over the world that are listening to the show and following in and, and wanting to be a part of the coalition. So. It's cool. I never thought of it like that. Thanks for that perspective, Corey. I mean, fuck, dude. You're talking about, you know, making a difference globally. I can't even hardly comprehend that. I mean, I've been out of the country like Mexico, fucking Canada. But outside of that, like, you're talking about hitting, you know, touching. Just give me a couple of examples of, of, of places where you've got people that have followed you and and are are and have showed some interest in this. Give me an example somewhere where, where they where they're from, like another country. Oh, dude, we seem to have a big following in Denmark and the UK, um, Iceland for some reason. A lot of my you know uh, my my family people over in Italy and Sicily they're they're listening, which is great. You know, I think we're we got people listening in, in forty different countries. Um, you know, even though our basis is here in California. And, you know, it's gotten to the point now where when I travel for work, I could be in an airport, I could be at a bus stop, I could be um, on a plane. The the places that I end up are so random and weird in a bar, in a restaurant, and I have people coming up from all over the country saying, dude, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the show. And it's just, it's just mind blowing because I'm nobody, dude. I'm nobody special. I'm not Andy Frisella. I'm no Ed Milet. Um, I'm no Sean Whalen. I'm just some backwoods redneck who is telling his story and the story of the grassroots. And it's gotten to the point now where I'll even, I don't know where I was. I was with my, my fiance and we were like hours away at some farmer's market. And we went into some small little restaurant corner and all the chefs knew who I was. And by the end of the meal, like comped us some of our food, which was so gracious. And they were just like, thank you for what you're doing. Keep it up. And then you have people from all walks of life. People that are like in their 60s will come up to me and be like, dude, what you're doing is awesome. I'll have um, people who barely speak English that are from South America when they come here or Colombia say that they're listening to the show and that they resonate with the message. 
and it's such a, a huge responsibility, I believe, but I also feel like I'm obligated to, to stand here and do this because of what the plant has done for me. And you can't say that you unconditionally love this plant or love this culture if you don't love your brother and your sister in the same light. Because we all, all our reasons for coming to cannabis are different, but we're all bonded by that plant and the experiences that we get through it. So I feel very privileged, very honored to be in this position. I will not lie to you. I will say I do not want this weight. I do not want this responsibility. It's not something that I'm eagerly seeking every day, but I feel absolutely obligated to do it. And there will be a week at a time where I'll check out. I won't talk to people, but then I'll get that message or that phone call that will bring me right back in. Because if I truly love this plant the way I say I do, then I have to love the people as much as I say I do. And that doesn't matter where you're from, your race, your, your gender, your sexual orientation, your political beliefs. None of that fucking matters. If I love the plant unconditionally, I need to give that back. Simple as that. So I'm going to throw something at you that's even more heavy than what you just said. So have you ever stepped back and you, it'll be interesting how you answer this, but you ever taken a second to step back and think I, I am, I'm, I am what God is using me as a microphone for all the voices that have been held down for so long. Like what if you are, and it sounds like you're pretty goddamn close to being the one that's been chosen to do this. Now I know that's a lot of weight, but you know, as well as I know that you can handle that shit. Well, I mean, you know, between me and you and the the fence post and I guess everyone listening, you know, um, I've always had a really close relationship with God, um, a very, very close relationship my entire life. Um, I chose to walk away from that relationship for a long time and um, live a very evil and selfish life. Uh, but God was always there and always in my ear and always very loving yet upset with what I was doing. And I had always felt in my heart of hearts that I was supposed to be in some form of ministry, working with troubled youth, helping people get out of prison and adjust to this life, um, realizing that it, it didn't matter if what you did in this world, besides maybe a, a few things, in my own opinion, are forgivable and that you can have redemption. And I ran from it. I ran from it. I didn't want to be in that kind of position. I didn't want, I wanted to be bad. I didn't want to have God right here with me 24 seven. I wanted to sleep around and fucking party and be a bad boy. And God sitting on your shoulder doesn't work like that. So I've always literally ran from this calling that I've felt. And this podcast and this crusade has become my ministry. I'm a conservative Christian in cannabis. And those fucking things don't always mix. I'm tatted up. I cuss and I swear I'm not going to be preaching from a pulpit anytime soon, but you know, I believe that this has become my ministry because what I talk about is faith-based 
It doesn't come off like it. And I say fuck all the time. It's just like Andy. Dude, what Andy's doing right now is him being called by God to stand up and fucking lead. That's becoming his ministry. I yep. see it. And if you fucking aren't paying attention, that's exactly what's going on. And I that's agree. how I feel this mission has been for me. It's my ministry. And I'm not even talking about God 24-7. If somebody wants to talk about God, we can get down into it. But I'm not the normal Christian. Um, I've got a little edge to me, and I think that allows me to bridge the gap with people and have an honest conversation. And I feel very – I feel with what you said. Like, I've gone through what I've gone through, and it's my time to step up. And I'm just honestly scared of it. I've been scared of it. I've been scared of being successful. And the reason for that is everyone I've seen be successful, they change. That, that I've fun. seen. Well, they, people right. change, man. People get money, and they fucking change. People get, you know, um, a little bit of clout, and they change. You know, everyone that I looked up to in the industry when I came into it, I literally have zero respect for it today because of who they became. I never want to be that for someone. You understand? I never yes. want to treat people the way they fucking treated me. And I watch a lot of kinfolk get some fame, get some money, and then the real them comes out. And I'm human, man. I know money doesn't change you. It just shows who you really are. But I still battle with who I really am sometimes. There's still that fucking, that bad boy. There's still that selfishness inside and I don't want to be succumbed to my own human condition. And that's my honest, true fear. And I've realized that it's time for me to just step up and stop being a bitch and do this for the people on the planet that I love, or this opportunity is not going to be in front of me for a while. You know what I mean? Like God's going to put opportunity in front of you and he's going to open the door. If you don't step in, he's going to slam that motherfucker shut. And, you know, he's got a fickle way of, of of conversating with me you know we talk on a on a daily on an hourly basis but you know he's like homie he's like what the fuck are you doing bro and uh i'm very grateful for the relationship i have um and you know even though i might have been astray for a long long time he never left my side he only got closer and you know i owe that to to my mother that even though i was running and gunning and, and in prison and being a schmuck she prayed for me every day. She always made sure that she wrote me and, and reminded me of who I was and what God was to my life. And uh, it all comes full circle, man. You know, I'll be, I'll be 34 this year and uh, I'll be five years sober. Um, so I never thought I'd make it past 21, man. Uh, I never thought that I would be looked at as somewhat of a respected individual. I never thought that I'd find a woman to love. I never thought that I would uh, own my own home or my own land. Um, change can happen. Um, you know, and Sean Whalen always says extreme change. It takes extreme change, man. And it's scary sometimes, but it's worth it. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, after all the stuff that you've been through, right, on the streets, and in prison. If you look at all the times that you've been in a jam or you've been doing whatever the fuck you were doing outside and in, do you think taking on this coalition and leading it the way you know you need to lead it, do you honestly think that's going to be tougher than what you've already been through? 
it's different. Okay. I think that when, and maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure there's a bunch of people listening going, well, that's not right. But everyone always tells me that. Like, dude, it used to be homeless. You used to live under a bridge. You used to be in gangs. You used to be in prison. You were a dope fiend. Like, you've overcome all that. Why can't you overcome this? Well, I think because when you're trying to overcome that, it's literally a life and death situation. You don't have an option. There's no, you cannot slack because if you do, you're going to go back to prison. You're going to die. You're going to end up on the street, whatever. Like the costs are so high. The cost for not executing on this is just mediocrity. Or losing your whole industry to a bunch of suits. Correct. But does that, does that like, affect me the same way going back to prison affects me? Nope. It doesn't. So now you're battling the the human condition of being fucking a lazy fuck, right? Of like knowing that you can get up and execute, but does it really affect you the same way that, you know, getting out of prison and getting off parole may affected you? No, it doesn't. So then it just becomes, you have to get to a point where you're executing regardless of what is coming at you, regardless of who says what, who thinks what, regardless of what you think of yourself, most importantly. Um, And that's what 2020 is about me. It's about execution because people talk about it. You're right. You made a great point right there. You said, you know, it it really all comes down to the person and and it comes down to the mindset. And and if you think about, uh, well, I, you know, is it really going to matter if I do this? Eh, maybe, maybe not. Or if you look at it like, you know what, I'm going to look at this like I'm getting out of prison and this is what I've got to do to get out. And I guarantee you that mindset would shift, not to mention all the motherfuckers you're going to help, all the pain and all the suffering that you're going to help somebody else not go through by pushing forward and making sure this industry stays the way it was. That's what you got to look at. Millions of motherfuckers. Millions. Well, it's the same thing of like, I'm, I'm sure that Andy doesn't comprehend the effect that he's made on all of us. And out of people all, I mean, sure he gets emails or whatever, but but you're right. There's no way he can grasp the impact that he's made. And no. I think this, it's the same thing for me. I can't grasp the impact that I've made yet. But when I go to events like the Emerald Cup, which is the, the longest running, largest outdoor cultivation festival in the country, which is held in Santa Rosa, you know, when I literally, uh, it's in December, normally the oh. second week of December. Okay. So when I was there and I was there actually working for my mentor. So I had nothing to do with TG, had nothing to do with fucking propagating purpose. I was there as an employee of the man that I call my mentor. Um, I mean, he didn't pay me or anything, but I was just there working for him. And <laughs> he's, he's like one of my best friends, you know? So I show up and I work and literally the two days and I'm just sitting like by a booth, just kind of leaning, waiting to be told what to do. And there were hundreds of people who stopped me from all walks of fucking life. And you get the emails and the messages and the, the texts or whatever, but it's different when you have them in front of you and you can see the emotion in their eyes. You can feel how you've affected them and their life. And it's just absolutely fucking mind blowing. And I had to walk away and cry at the event 
a few times because I was so emotionally drained from that kind of experience. But events is where I get my gas, dude. It's where I get my fucking diesel in the gas tank. Then you've answered the question because it's the feeling that you just described is something I feel like I would want to chase because when people are telling you face to face what you've done for them and you said that's your gas, you got to get in front of more people. You know, we've all got, you're right. I'm not saying you're not right, but we've all got fears and we all got issues and we all have stuff that restrains us. And those shackles or those chains are really mental. You know, I've overcome a lot, but I'm, I'm just the most fucked up person I know. Like I've got issues. I'm human, just like the next guy. Um, and, and what I'm starting to realize is that nothing matters besides my relationship with myself and my relationship with God. Because if, if I don't have a good relationship with God, nothing really matters. And if I don't have a good relationship with me, I can't do anything else. So as of, you know, obviously my drug use, and my alcoholism came from a life of self-hatred, um, not thinking I was good enough always looking at myself as a piece of shit. So even now I will talk about myself as a degenerate and people go, no, 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 you were a former degenerate. You know, that self-talk is really serious. And I think uh, Joe Dispenza or someone was saying that, you know, we have like 88,000 thoughts per day and like 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts you said the next day. So what, for the last 20 fucking years, every day I'm telling myself I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. Dude, that will break you down. Um, and, you know, thank God I went through 75 hard this year. Uh, 75 hard, phase one, phase two, waiting on phase three now. Um, because that really showed you what you were made of. It really showed you how much you'd left on the table. It showed you what you were capable of achieving. But there was a, a fucking dark side to that shit. Because if you... And you went through all those phases and you realized what you accomplished. If you let off the gas for a second, it was like you were in a, a, a circus funhouse with mirrors, seeing every different perspective of you. And you're like, oh my God, I'm a worthless piece of shit. I haven't done anything. You know, so it was, there's a real dark side to it. So if you're listening to this and you're doing 75 hard, you go through those phases, don't let off the gas. You know, maybe you don't need to take a picture or maybe you don't need to stick to the strict diet, but like, Two workouts a day, a gallon of water. Don't stop that shit because there's a dark side to 75 hard. And that dark side is darker than it was before I ever started the program. You're so right. You're absolutely right. Because you know, and like there's a bunch of people in the weed game that have started 75 hard and have finished 75 hard. And now with 2020, there's a bunch of people starting it from the weed game. So, you know, it's really cool to see everyone taking the challenge on. And those men that are in the longer phases like me who've been doing this for the last seven, eight months, you know, they'll all tell you about the dark side and that it's the worst feeling in the world because you're absolutely naked to yourself, all of your faults, all of your fucking truths. And, you know, that little bitch voice is real. A little bitch voice is real, man. And you need to kill that motherfucker as, as much as you can. Um, but, you know, you kind of need it to an extent. You know, if you kill the bitch voice all the way, you don't have that that little bit of a sounding board that makes you get up and go. 
So I, I think to an extent you still need that kind of bullshit in your mind because it triggers you to step into action. And if you could step into action every time you get in that headspace, then I think you'll be all right. No, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, it's interesting if you would have asked me if, if Andy hadn't have come up with this, so if he, if he hadn't come up with it and made it so public, I, I can't say that I would have volunteered to do it. Um, because I, you know, I went through 30 some odd days and then I started over with my wife. I didn't fuck up. I just started over with her, which was not the best idea because why wasn't that a good idea? Well, because selfishly I wanted my time to go run or whatever the fuck it is I was going to go do for my outside stuff. That was thinking time. That was time that I could process or I could listen to Andy or I could listen to Dr. Joe or I could listen to Ed or whoever. And it got my mind right. It got, it, it had me dialed in and, and, and now, and, and when, so when my wife started, I didn't have that time. You know, we had to, she wanted to talk. Well, what the fuck are you going to do? So, I, you know, it was always resentful to an extent that I got that time taken away from me. Well, I think that the, the, not just with 75 hard, but I think as men in general, we need us time. And with 75 hard, you have to schedule your life around the program. The program comes first. So like, if, like me, I like alone time, right? Especially in the morning. I don't want anyone to talk to me for a little bit. Even though I'm talkative, I don't want anyone to talk to me. I'm weird like that. I need my bathroom time. I need to be able to smoke a joint, walk the property, do my thing. If I don't get that fucking time, I'm not a good person, right? So with 75 hard, you have to program, put the program first, then everything around it. So if you're someone who likes your quiet time, doesn't mean you can't work out with your wife for one of the workouts. But that first workout, say it's your cardio, that's like you. It's it, You're like, Love you, babe. But this first 45 minutes, it's all about me. And that's not being selfish. That's actually being selfless. Because is it better that you're getting your 45 minute time or you're not or you're with her for 45 minutes giving her 5% of your fucking attention because you're annoyed? No, that's just gonna make shit worse, dude. Might as well just set aside the time for you and then everything else goes around it. And that's how the program works. The program comes first everything else comes second and you need to schedule it out, you know? And I know people like, you know, um, Sal for Sella, he has his schedule of like two hours in the morning is his time. Then the next two hours are his kids time. Then he does all his work. Then he does kids. And the last two hours a day is him and his wife. That's him and his wife time, you know? And that's the kind of regiment you have to be. Cause there's no balance. People are like, Oh, how do you find balance? You don't, man. You don't find balance in that. None of that shit. But if you can schedule or at least attempt to of where you have devoted time for yourself and God, you have a devoted time for your children or your job or your animals. Like my dogs, I got two dogs that are like my kids and those dogs come first. That means I wait, you know, when they walk down the stairs, I'm ready to go outside with them. We're going to the bathroom. We're getting the treats in, you know, breakfast, no matter what is at a specific time, three thirty, four o'clock because it's winter now drop everything I'm doing and we go out for another walk. It doesn't matter what I'm doing because those things come first and I fit myself around it. And it's the same thing with the program. And if you're someone who needs those 
45 minutes of thinking time, I get it. The cars, the trucks, my time for that shit. Then you got to do it. That's not selfish. What's selfish is only giving your wife 5% of your attention. That's fucking selfish. Fucking great point. Great point. So speaking of morning routines, is that, so you're, yeah, for me, I wait, as you know, I wake up four four thirty in the morning and like, I don't look at my phone uh, other than to turn on a meditation, which I've just started. Um, but like I, I use that time to journal and to read and to kind of just feed me. And I think well, that I mean, shit's important. Dude, it's super important. When I was doing morning routines, like I would wake up at four forty-five, five o'clock. I'm on the West Coast, you're on the East Coast, very different. Um, but I wouldn't touch my phone for the first forty-five minutes, like Ed Milet suggested, and uh I would go to read my book, my 10 pages in the morning, do my bathroom, do my smoke session you know, eat my food. By the time dogs were up, I was already set, ready to execute on that at the gym. Um, And the only time I failed the the program was when we were in St. Louis together. Because like traveling and like being on the road, I'm just not in my regiment anymore because you can't be. It's just not how it works. And like I failed the program because I wasn't eating enough food or drinking enough water. And, you know, that sometimes will lead you into a spiral mm-hmm. and now i'm at the point where i'm not in that kind of routine dude i'm waking up later than i should i'm not sleeping the same i'm only working out once instead of twice i may be only drinking a half to three quarters of a gallon of water you know i've all i'm not on the program anymore but my routine has kind of fit my narrative now and you see the results and it's bullshit you know like we as humans and as men especially i think we need routine and that physical exercise needs to be in there more than once a day and if you do not have a regiment there's a reason why every person that we listen to for self-development tells you get in there uh, a regiment and the second thing they'll always tell you is a physical exercise i listen to everybody in the fucking world and i didn't want to work out i used to lift heavy used to be a big part of my life didn't want to go back to doing it and the second I started lifting weights again and doing the physical exercise, I got what they meant. As men, especially 30 and older, like, dude, we have to have that release of endorphins and exercise. It's like, if we don't, I just don't think we function right. And I don't, and I mean, running may be part of it, but I think as men, we really need to do physical strenuous activity, whether that's lifting weights or even yoga is strenuous as fuck. It has to be done for us to operate on a, 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 you know, biological level. Right, right, right. Um, so what? Um, okay. So have you have you considered doing it again? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm back in the routine of you know because it gets so dark here so fast and it's just yeah. been so so cold that I haven't been putting in the two workouts again. The drinking a gallon of water is tough no matter what. Um, but it's even tougher if you're not working out twice a day, I've found. Like getting a gallon of water down actually is easy if you're working out twice. Um, and I'm reading still, of course. But I, if I started 75 hard again, um, as far as the 75 days, um, I wouldn't be able to start phase three by the end of the year, I believe. Because you got to do phase three the last 30 days no matter what. So I'm just trying to 
get back on my regiment and put those five pounds back on that I think I lost and um, be ready for my last 30 days um, because I don't want to fucking look back and be like, I failed the whole year. Maybe you fail fucking phase three, you fail the whole program. I don't want to fail the whole program. So right. I'm, I'm just getting laser focused right now. Damn right. Um, so if there's, you know, anybody out there that whoever's listening, if they could, if they're listening to this and they think, you know, I could help him. Uh, you meaning I've heard we're veering back off to the Canada stuff. If, they, if there's somebody listening that you, that whatever you said has sparked something inside of them and they're a grassroots person that has some pull, how do they find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram is pretty much the only place that I put anything up that is at TG underscore genetics underscore underscore um, TG genetics is the, the seed company that I founded a long time ago. TG stands for Trinacria Gardens. Uh, I'm Sicily. I'm from uh, my family is from Sicily and uh, Trinacria is the ancient name for Sicily. So that's where the name comes from. Um, I have a website, which is propagating purpose com. You can find all my information there and uh, propagatingpurpose at gmail.com. Perfect. So um, I'm trying to think. I felt like there was one more thing I was going to ask you. Um, yeah. So, you know. Do, do, do. Yeah, no, I know. I think I lost it. I totally like I lost it. No. <laughs> I yeah I, I I don't know what the hell it was, um, but what I'm gonna do if you're cool with that with this I well I'll go back through the video and I'm gonna just cut out a small portion of it and post it and tag these guy and tag these guys in it uh, if you're cool with that. We'll see what the video looks like. Okay. We'll see what the video looks like. You know. Um, you know, and all honestly, um, I made a decision when I walked away from cannabis um, that I said I wouldn't return unless it was, you know, I wouldn't take investment. I wouldn't work with anyone from outside the industry. Um, I wouldn't make those moves unless it was with Andy Frisella and Chris Klein. And that yeah. was something that I vocalized out in the world two years ago, um, you know, or maybe a year and a half ago. Slowly, those proximities have become closer. Um, and I mean that shit. I don't trust anyone else in the world to go into business with because I'm watching everybody across the country literally just get raped and pillaged and shit on and destroyed. And, you know, there are suicides happening on the West Coast because people can't handle the pressure of this. Um, and I know that Andy and Chris's intent is righteous. Um, I know where my intent lays. And, you know, maybe one day God will open up that door. Um, but I definitely put that out in the universe uh, a long time ago. And I'm a, I'm a continue to, to have that positive mindset about the situation. You know, this goes right back to timing is everything. You know, God has opened the door. You just haven't caught up with when that door is. Well, you, you just haven't caught up with that moment yet. Well, you know, I'm grateful for for everything that's that's transpired in the past and what Andy's done in my life. And, um, you know, watching him and Chris's dynamic is, is pretty inspiring to say the least, you know, it's, it's 
I'm just grateful for where I'm at, dude. If anything else came from it, great, but uh, that's not the end all be all. And I know that just like I say to my guys in the, in the industry that, that thank me for uh, what I'm doing, I tell them just the only way you can thank me is go out and live your best life. You know, if you feel like I've impacted you, then you go out and impact the world. And I know that Andy has the same view as well. So it's just time for me to execute on my own vision. And if uh, opportunity and situations arise and, and meet each other, then we'll walk into that door then. For sure. Well, I, I could, I absolutely see, you know, something along those lines working out because just because of, I, because I know you, of course I root for you, but I, it's not that I even have to root for you. Like you're already somebody that I respect so much because of what you've been through. And so I, you know, I feel like if you could just partner up with, with Andy or whoever, uh, that, that you would be bringing more to the table that, than they would. Um, and I don't, and I'm not trying to compare the two. What I'm saying is, is that your place at the table is probably the most important out of whoever else. I think, I think at this part in the industry, it's a fair share at the table. I honestly do. It's like fit down. It's split 50, 50. You have to have somebody who understands how to run a multi-state operation and you have to understand, you have to have someone, not just one person, literally a group of people who have their pulse on the industry. And I think if you can split that dichotomy, even you can make a massive global impact because culture starts with the grassroots and culture starts in California. And that goes for what the country does as far as cannabis culture. It all starts here and all the trends move east. It doesn't go east to west. It goes west to east. Yeah, nothing goes east to west. Well, I mean, you know, like those <laughs> those cult, those cultivars that really made their popularity on the east coast, OG, the sours and the hazes and all that, they moved west and so did the good farmers and people. But as far as cannabis culture, the rest of the country really follows what California does. Nobody's following what Washington or Oregon or Arizona or Colorado's doing. Culture starts here and moves and moves east. So is there any anything coming up that uh people can get excited about as far as the laws changing? Uh you know, I just do you have any information on what's co- what's coming in the next two, three months? Are there states that are gonna now be legalized? I don't I don't know because I don't watch the fucking news. It changes so fast, it's really hard to to keep on top of it. And being on top of regulation state by state is not my main focus right now. Illinois the other day just came online as far as a recreational state. Um, I know Massachusetts, I believe, is going online. You have all these new states that are implementing possible hemp or medical uh, initiatives. So I think you're going to watch the state really... I mean, the country really shift in the in the way towards cannabis use um, recreationally and medically. Um, I think you're going to watch a lot of huge multiple multiple state operators that are owned by uh, large corporations out of Canada are going to tank. They're all going to lose their ass. They've been operating in the negative for far too long, bleeding money. Think that they could push us out. And I think that you're going to watch craft cannabis take a serious rise in the next two years. And what's going to be leading that is education, media, advertising, 
and grassroots cannabis culture led by the people who built this industry. And I think that's what you need to be looking out for in the next two years. I just had a motherfucking great thought. And I, I'm not going to, I won't mention it while we're on here because. Um, you're always moving and dealing. You're always like, you've got like 30 <laughs> things going on in your head. I'm surprised you've stayed relevant in this conversation for the last hour and a half. <laughs> it is, well, I just, I have things that come to me at different times. And when you just said that, it made me think, oh, that's how he can reach more people. What I just wrote down. Well, I think something to keep a watch out, especially on our front here with myself and some of these grassroots guys, is we have, for the last year or so, been working on a real piece of media, a real documentary by the grassroots community for the general public. Um, I, I'm very grateful to have a producer at Apple from, uh, from Brooklyn who came down to watch me at Keynote Speak last summer became friends. We started kind of writing this script for a documentary about Prop 64, the small farmer in California, and what we're trying to achieve with the coalition and why this is really being formed. Um, you know, over six months, we put a deck together. We wrote characters that are real people, were farms that we can visit. It showed the narrative of those who have succeeded in the market, those who are bleeding in the market, why the market changed this way and what we as a grassroots community are trying to do. So we put that deck together back in December. We pitched it to Time Incorporated. They loved it. It looks like we are going to be moving forward with producing the, the trailer and the sizzle. And the goal in 2020 is to make a full-length documentary or a series, depending on where HBO or Netflix wants to take it, but tell a real story of cannabis to the general market by us and for us because every documentary or every piece of media on Netflix about cannabis is bullshit. Mm. It's all crap. If you watched Murder Mountain I did. documentary, it is bullshit. It was so disrespectful to the people of Alder Point, to the people in Southern Humboldt. That is not how that community is. It didn't paint a light of our culture in any way. Cinematography was great, but it was just almost insulting. Um, Alder Point in Southern Humboldt is a beautiful place. And yes, when you're talking about outlaws, there is a, cedar, uh, a seedy underbelly to things that happen. Um, but it's not everything that our culture is. And I believe that our story is the most incredible story out of prohibition that the world has ever seen. And it needs to be told the correct way because knowing is getting the correct narrative of what we have been living through, what we are living through and what we will live through. And this has been done over the last four or five decades and incorporate that with um, the propaganda that we've seen of marijuana over the years corporate interests, prison industry, you name it. Um, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and bullshit. And it needs to be a clear, precise message because what is our advantage? Our advantage is our story. It is a beautiful one and it is only special to us. And hopefully we have the opportunity in 2020 to show that to the world in a big way. There's absolutely no reason that you won't be able to do that. 
Well, by the by the grace of God, hopefully we'll you know we'll be shooting here in the next month or two, um, and and putting that sizzle together and that dialogue and off to sell it. So I'm hoping you know by 2020 that the door opens for us to tell the story, the right story, um, because it deserves to be told. It's been built on the backs of dying AIDS patients. This industry has been built by outlaws and backwoods rebels. There's still people serving life terms in prison. I watched young men die and get raped and murdered who were in there for a plant. So the, you know, the, the problems in America are still here and still relevant. Prohibition's not over yet. And I think that the, the country and the globe needs to see the truth and we need to be the ones leading the movement. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. That's that's so sad to hear. Um, well, basically what you just said about how you know people dying for for this. Pl- I never really looked at it really like that way. It's, I mean, I would think of like a drive by maybe, but not not this. Well, you got to so think about it. Like somebody gets goes to jail, a nineteen year old kid, and he's got like a baggie of weed. And he goes to fucking jail. He's in a prison state, let's say, like Idaho or Nevada back in the day or wherever. And he, like, goes to a big boy's prison. Now this guy is in with a bunch of violent offenders. And prison is a predatory space. And, you know, who's not to say that somebody didn't take a liking to him or wanted his commissary or, you know, wanted something from him? Who knows? And young men don't know how to survive in a world full of monsters. And I've watched some of them who, who didn't become who they had to become to survive like I did um, lose their life. And it was all because they were in there for a plant, you know, like, but that incarceration led to X, Y, Z. And now their mother is, you know, doesn't have a kid. And there's still people in this country who are locked up for herb, bro. There's people sitting on death row in States for cannabis yet you have a legal market everywhere across the country. If you're going to have a legal market in every state, then you need to let everybody out of fucking prison. Because it's it's bullshit. And those big corporations, if you're an American corporation or an entity listening to me right now, and if you are playing in the legal market and you're not advocating to release every nonviolent offender in your state, for the same fucking shit you are building a billion dollar company for, you don't deserve to be in this industry and you don't deserve to have that licensure because it's against American values to operate like that. Can't have people in prison in the same state, people who probably had interest in going after cannabis people now profiting from it. It's like John Boehner being a lobbyist in cannabis. Really? Really, John Boehner? okay, bro, you want to lock us up? Now you want to join in? It's, it's mind blowing, but it's the new norm. And hopefully through some of our efforts, we can have some awareness to it because there's a big shift that needs to happen in this country and people are being left behind. Well, I, uh, I'll be excited to see the documentary because I think it, you know, if you've gotten this far, you've already, you know, things have already lined up so great for you in this situation that I don't see how it can fail. Sorry, I got to piss. That's why I'm getting antsy. Um, (laughs) um, So 
Well, let me think. Oh, the other thing I was going to ask you, we can wrap up with this, is like, what are your thoughts on other plant medicine, right? So Denver, I think, has now psilocybin mushrooms, uh, which I, I don't know if it's legal or if it's med. I don't know what it is, but something's going on there. So what 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 are your thoughts on that? Because you have such a deep uh, relationship with the cannabis plant. What do you think about other plant medicines? I'm all for it. For me, I don't do mushrooms. Okay, I just don't fucking like them. It's not my dig. I don't want to do them. I don't like them. That's me. Yeah. But I think its use is absolutely needed in the world. Um, I think that anything is better than a pharmaceutical drug that's made in a lab. Okay. Like God has given us everything that we need on this earth. We just have to utilize it correctly if it's available to us. There's no reason that we need to be popping these pills that lead to blindness, that lead to anal leakage that lead to <laughs> suicidal thoughts that lead to loss of feeling in your limbs like no dude there's a natural remedy for it and i think for a lot of people with say migraine headaches ptsd um you know maybe physical or spousal or sexual abuse in their life this is here for for you to use as a tool i 100 percent agree with that um you know psilocybin is a fungus it is a is a poisonous fungi technically and how it affects you. So I think it needs to be, you know, not just blown out of proportion and everyone's eating, you know, quarter ounces of mushies right off the back, but I'm a hundred percent for it. I think anything that is anything that God has created is better than fucking pharmaceuticals, man. I just, I'm, I don't take even Excedrin. I don't take pills. I don't take none of that. My chick's a nutritionist. Um, we believe in being able to heal people through exercise and food and diet. And, and I'll probably rock that way for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes complete sense. You're absolutely, I mean, you're, you're right. And, and look at the end of the day, pharmaceutical companies, I, I mean, it's all about the money. Like they'll, you know, they make a, a, a pill that fixes X, but then you got to take another fucking pill for for X to be not effective in this way. Does that make sense? Totally. And I think, excuse me, I think having firsthand experience with a lot of combat vets that I'm friends with and different organizations, you know, these guys will tell you that seriously doing high doses of psilocybin mushrooms saved their life. Sure, the pot was helping them, was making a great deal, but they were able to start processing emotions, having relationships with their wives, being sexually active again, because I know that that becomes an issue sometimes with, with people with severe PTSD. And you're watching these men tell you their change in their life that came from mushrooms. And it's just like night or day. And I've known some of these guys for fucking 10 years. So you see the profound change it's done in their life. They have this eye awakening situation and you're watching them just go out and conquer the world now on a level that they never could before. And it was all through that plant-based medicine therapy. And, you know, I've seen it firsthand. It absolutely works. Yeah. You know, everything that I've read about, everything that I've, anything, there's really not a whole lot that points to any plant medicine being a bad thing. Other than I mean, this. Unless a plant is poisonous for us and we're not supposed to consume it, you know? Well, yeah, like, like I'm, than, right, right, right. You know, like, like yeah, yeah. But like, a, but, but people are microdosing, like, and I don't know MDMA. I mean, I know Molly, whatever. I know what it's called, but I don't, I don't know. It's not really plant based, but 
they are finding some breakthroughs with that. Now, I don't know. Uh, you probably well, follow you gotta, this. you got to think, too, MDMA was a marriage counseling drug before it was ever outlawed in 1986. So, like, MDMA was outlawed. It, it was outlawed in 86 because people were going and doing drugs and, like, you would drink so much fucking water, but you wouldn't piss because when you do ecstasy, it's hard to pee. So they people would drown themselves, basically, from, like, overwatering. And it became a serious issue. So it outlawed in the 80s. But before that, it was a marriage counseling drug. So if you've ever experienced ecstasy or pure MDMA, it is a very lovey-dovey sexual experience. It can be if the music's right, the situation's right. It could be a very physical activity. So if you've done that and you've had that ability to be high on MDMA with your sexual partner and the verbal communication that happens between you and that person Duh, it was a marriage counseling drug, but we as humans had to take something that was really fucking awesome and fuck it up because we're overindulgence as Americans. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, dude, absolutely. I did so not I, know it was. I did not know it was a marriage counseling drug, but God, I mean, of all, that's exactly <laughs> what it yeah. should be called. Yeah, I that's, mean, most drugs come from like some kind of spiritual sense. You know, just like peyote or mushrooms or you know any of these drugs natives use these way before we fucking did that's how we figured out about them and they were all spiritual experiences uh methamphetamines cocaine very different those are man-made that doesn't fuck it has nothing to do with that anything natural right um dmt so dmt there is something that's very I, natural you know like, i have no experience with that there's a hallucinogen above any hallucinogen experience that you've ever done in your life there's nothing right. that can compare to DMT. That is another alternate world of experience. Um, but, you know, that's something that naturally produces in our body anyways. People right. were figured out how to manufacture it. Now you can, you know, smoke it and it's a, a crazy experience. But I know people who microdose with a DMT, like put it in a vape pen, you know, like a nicotine pen and, and smoke it out of that. Um, so, you know, with anything in moderation, if used as a right tool, I think, has a place in our society but where we've gone as a society everything is fucking bad and now it's like become outlawed which makes it a commodity on the black market which means it has fucking money and now like everything's construed um but if there's someone out there with a serious traumatic situation who is trying to find plant-based medicine to you know hopefully work through that you know all the things that we talked about in my opinion are totally safe under the proper circumstance Dude, and the science backs it up. The, the the everybody or everything that I've read backs up everything you just said. Well, I mean, there is science to back to it, but you just ask people who've gone through those therapy sessions, you know. And it's not like someone does mushroom or acid to process a war situation, and now all of a sudden they're like off in la la land every day, high on that hallucinogen. You know, it's it's not like that, but used to process those traumatic situations and experience to bring them back to being a normal human being, who are you deprive that man or woman from getting back and being the husband and wife or the, the mother or the father that they need to be? Um, we shouldn't be depriving anybody of that access, but somehow as, as a, as a country, we feel that it's okay to just plug opiates in people's body that cause more issues and more diseases. You know, we're fighting uh, the pharmaceutical industry. You know, this is, <laughs> This is a continuous war on, um, you know, cannabis or on things that we call plant-based medicines that were classified as drugs. 
um, because there's interest. There's people with special interests and financial interest in the market that are going to benefit from it going away. And they're willing to do whatever they can to, you know, secure their assets. So, you know, we're involved in a very amazing time in history of the evolution of man um, and society as well and what is normal and what is considered to be accepted and not accepted. So, you know, I'm very grateful to be in this time in history and we are literally writing history as we speak uh, in the cannabis industry. And we forget that sometimes because it's what we do, but we're an exciting time in history for sure. Well, um, I, I think it's super cool that you've, uh, <laughs> to no choice of your own uh, to, to lead this thing, you know, you kind of got, you know, you, you just gained a massive following three different times. Yeah, I've, been deleted. I've been deleted three times. So that I is from, from zero every time. 60,000 fucking followers each time. Pretty yeah. close to it. That's well, insane. Yeah, you, you attract your tribe, man, you know, and you attract people who want to hear the message or can relate with you. And there's some people that fucking hate you, dude. Dude, I, I can name like 10 people right now who literally hate me and have horrible things to say about me. Some of them are totally true. Some of them are not. I'm not for everybody, you know? Like, I cuss and I swear. I talk about shit that's uncomfortable. And I don't, I don't take no fucking bullshit from anybody. Um, and some people don't like that. Some people are attracted to it. It's just like Andy, man. Andy fucking grosses a bunch of people out. How is that Andy only has like one and a half million followers, but Gary Vaynerchuk has like seven million? Because Gary's like fucking not as brutal as Andy. Right. You know, True. and people don't want to take that. Like the message that Andy delivers, I think, is way better than Gary's. And it's just how it's delivered. And people can't fucking take that shit. That's a pussification of society. But for me and you, we, we dig it. So, you know, you attack, you attract your tribe after a while. And if I can build an account up to that level three times, like anybody can be successful on social media. Maybe not now with the algorithm and shit, but you know, like if you're just honest and authentic and transparent to people and show them that you value their, your support, dude, you'll, you'll, you'll have people who support you. It's the number one thing. I always write people. I always message them back. I always say, thank you for your support. I always stop and talk to people when they want to talk to me because those are the people who fucking support you and you should take genuine interest in those people because without them, you would just be someone talking into a phone in the middle of nowhere. You know, and, and another thing, it, it it's important to, be selfless in those situations because guess what? If, if I don't give you an opportunity for, if I don't, if I don't give you the, the opportunity to thank me for whatever it is I've done, like your position, then you're robbing me of the joy of being able to compliment you. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, I'm, excuse me. Yeah, I, I totally do. But I also know what it's like to like really support someone and feel that they made a really huge positive impact in my life and feel that I, you know, I just, I, I love this person, everything about them. They've been fucking amazing. And you support, you support, support. And like, they just read your message seen and don't answer. Don't, don't do nothing. I've met people in real life and then just be ridiculous and feel like I'm wasting their time that I'm in their way that I'm, I'm a fucking nuisance. And I never want to make anyone feel the way I felt coming up in this game from anybody, 
you know, like I don't give it. And there's sometimes when you get a crazy person and you got to have to like, you know, be kind about it, but you diffuse the situation, but I've never blown anyone off. I always talk to people as long as it takes. And I want to know their like real name. I'll ask people like, Hey, what's your name, bro? They'll, they'll give me their Instagram name. And I'm like, no man, like what's your name? Like what's your name name? And they're surprised. I even ask, you know, cause I genuinely care because I know what it's like for that not to be reciprocated. And, there's some days where just getting a, a DM from Andy back or, you know, whatever that may be, him reposting my 75 hard, like that shit fucking mattered to me, bro, in a big fucking way. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about that. That fucking meant the world to me, dude. I needed that fucking shit. And there's definitely going to be someone on the other side of the fucking phone who needs that shit for me. And who am I? Not to fucking be like, hey, dog, I appreciate you. God bless. I'm sending you prayer. I fucking believe in you. And that's my thing. I tell everyone in the cannabis industry, I fucking believe in you. I fucking believe in us. And, you know, that matters, dude. You may not think what you, you're doing out in the world matters, but I guarantee it's impacting somebody. And you owe the universe the respect and the honor to fucking reciprocate that shit back to the people who fucking support you. I agree wholeheartedly. It just, it's kind of going back on everything that Andy talked about last night with customer service and, and, you know, you treat your people with respect and they'll always be your people. Always. 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 Even if you fuck up, even if you fuck up, they'll still be your people, man. You know, you could put out some B grade product. You can make a big mistake. You could really shit the bed hard, but that's okay. Cause those people fucking love you. They fucking support you. Like straight up, dude, if Andy fucking called me right now and said he needed me in Missouri and fucking whatever, I would get in my truck and go. I don't need to know. I would just go. That's what kind of impact he's made in my fucking life. And I know that I have that ability in my industries to some extent. You know, I live in fire country and I'm kind of known for being that guy that during fires, I show up, we, we get food together for people, you know, whatever community has been affected. And I know that if I had a fire, I can make one post, my coordinates, hey, I'm fucking shit out of luck, I need help, and I guarantee there would be a line of fucking backwoods, dirty hill fuckers lined up to help me bail everything out of my property. And you have to be able to reciprocate that shit back, because I know if I ever need that, it's there. And and that's just a blessing beyond belief. That's wealth to me. That's well. Fuck yeah. And you know, for everybody listening, you know, as I'm getting, as I'm building the, the podcast, so I'm, dude, like this is, this is far more work social media wise, just being present. And, and like you said, responding to people, it takes a lot of fucking time, dude. A lot, a lot of time. time. And I don't know if people think about that shit. No. They don't they're 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 like wow you're a dick you didn't respond to me here people get mad and they're do there's some people that i just won't respond to because the shit's crazy like you get crazy people on the internet i'm not saying you don't but I, you know 90 percent of the people are genuine they care they support you um and you're not responsible for how someone acts online or in your dm or fucking in your email you're not true even in person, you're responsible for you. If you're acting right, if you're treating people with respect, if you're doing what you feel is correct, 
then, you know, the hate ain't going to come at you. You know what I mean? And sometimes you don't have haters. Sometimes you just have fact checkers. You know, maybe if you got a bunch of fucking haters, you need to look at yourself in the mirror because maybe they're just telling you the fucking truth. And if it you need be. to fucking check yourself, check yourself. For sure. Yeah. So, um, all right. So I guess we'll, we'll wrap up to an extent. What I mean by that is I will wrap up. I'm going to stop the recording because I need to tell you these two things I wrote down. <laughs> um, so again, Fabian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but, uh, you know, Fabian has a podcast propagating purpose, right? Uh, and he doesn't do interviews like this. He doesn't. No, I don't do this shit. No, uh, not no. at all. Like I'm the only person that you've ever done this for. And, and, and we've actually done it twice because, yeah. you know, it didn't feel right the first time. Not that it didn't feel right. Just, it flowed today. Today was it, it dope, was, right? Compared today to was the time. Right? Yeah, today was the time. Last time wasn't totally. our time. Totally. You, you but know? I mean, I don't. I have a rule that I don't do online phone calls. Yeah. If I if I interview people or I give an interview, I have to be in person because I think that a lot. I think a lot is missed when you're not. So I like broke my own rule. Is what he's getting at to do this, but. Arate helps Arate and watching you build this platform over the last few months has been really fucking dope and inspiring. And, you know, I'm, I'm honored to do it for you, bro. Dude, I appreciate it. You've been a fucking close friend since the first goddamn DM. So, I mean, you know, you're not going to find a more trusting, a more genuine dude than this motherfucker right here. I can tell you that. I appreciate it. It means the world to me, man. Absolutely. Um, all right. So I'm going to go ahead. Let me see if I can figure out how to just to stop the record. Okay, here we go. <laughs> All right. Well, Fabian, thank you for coming on and keep doing what you're doing, brother. Hang, me, hang on one second. All right. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.